I don't know about you guys, but for me, the co- the coffee is hitting today. Yeah. Really? And it's a lucky thing because we have Adam Rappaport on the show, the very rare corporate lunch guest. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, guys. I do a thing now where I go to my uh, Cafe Grumpy around the corner, and I always get an iced, uh, like a cold brew every morning. But I go, I always go, can I get a cold brew with not too much ice? Oh, the I'm worst, the opposite. The, oh, I hate it when they overdo the ice because then I, I'm not getting as much coffee. I'm like the guy who goes to the movie <laughs> theater and what, gets a Coke with no ice, you know, because you just want more. You're definitely not from the South. I get a, I, my every morning iced coffee, extra ice. Oh, wow. Yeah. That cold brew is highly concentrated. No, though. I You're know. getting like a no, major I'm, dose of That's what I'm saying. It's important that the caffeine. coffee was hitting because yeah. Rappo comes you know, really? wait, loud so and proud. But what I do is so I stay at the at the um, at the cafe for like 15 minutes listening to podcasts and stuff and then i go home which is around the corner and then i drop in a few more ice cubes i re-ice what oh. yeah so then so I, you I, ask you them to bring up. the ice down yeah you hang out for a while go home and then re-ice well yeah that way like i said i get i get more coffee and then i but the ice level is always good and so then when i'm going to work when especially if it's warmer out then I have like an ample amount of ice there to keep get me this to work. Can system. you draw us a flow chart of this? I'm confused. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost. Have you ever made ice cubes out of old coffee? <laughs> Something about old coffee is not that <laughs> like appealing. Like yesterday's <laughs> coffee? No, I don't, What's I don't, left in well, the pot? Yeah. We could do a whole coffee podcast. So my wife, Simone, who will, will know as well, she makes her coffee at home. Um, she likes. She doesn't like to see people or humanity at all right. before she's caffeinated. I'm the opposite. I, I, I like to go. Shout out to Simone. I like to go outside and like have fresh air hit my face. Um, so she always makes coffee, kind of an Ethiopian variety, third wave hipster sort of stuff, which I always think tastes a little bit too much like tea. It's a little too fruity. Mm-hmm. So I don't want her t- coffee ice cubes <laughs> sort <Yeah>. of <laughs> imposing on my coffee tastes. But like out of the North Fork of Long Island, where I have a little cabin, uh, North Fork Roasting Company, Noco Roco, shout out. Um, um, they nofo roca excuse me they they they're one of those places where they do the coffee ice cubes in your iced coffee yeah i've, I've been there oh you've been that's in nofo roca that's why i thought of so it so you're not nice. watering it down at all you're getting yeah. only coffee exactly there then it's okay to have the regular amount of ice right although they're then uh, can they i don't want to say they're st- they're frugal with their ice cube distribution because they only have so many coffee yeah, ice cubes to ice give out. Right, right. One thing I like about coffee in the coffee shop is that you, your eccentricities are welcome there. Like mm. everybody steps to the counter with something highly specific that in basically any other context, you would be, people would be like, come on, dude, get out of here. <laughs> but you can literally go in there and you could, I could give them an ice cube count if I wanted to. Yeah. And they yeah. wouldn't flinch, they yeah. would count the cubes. Yeah, everyone think, respects like that as like, this is your ritual, yeah. you need this. But, yeah. And it's like a religious sort of yeah, thing. Other, have, your day is on the line. Yeah. I have like two thoughts on that. I think baristas are kind of like doctors. They've seen it all. You yeah. Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, I'm never going to have the worst order. I've never talked about this, but this is something that drives me insane. A lot of things drive me nuts. Like, do you ever, it could be a coffee place or it could be any place where you line up for food or whatever. You're in line and the person ahead of you, like, is they stop like six feet behind the counter while the person <laughs> at the counter is ordering. And I'm like, why are you standing so far away? Yeah. Why don't you move closer to the counter? I, I'm not saying you need to be up on the person in front yeah. of you as he or she orders, but why are you standing so far away from yeah. the counter? Then the whole line gets pushed back. And I'm like, what do you? What, what is that all about? This is an yeah. epidemic at Joe's downstairs on really? s- uh, in yeah. the One World Trade Center. it spills Center. out into the hallway. Because yeah. it puts you out into the <clears throat> hallway. Oh. And then you're like yeah. in the in the in the salmon flow of the hallway yeah. too. The other problem with that is like this is a huge issue. You're I'm not, glad yeah. we're tackling this. <laughs> well, the problem is is it conveys what it is saying is I'm not ready. 
And it's like the, the person who's standing all the way back isn't the ready, back and you're behind them. Like, dude, get ready. Like, I'm we ready. Gotta go. Yeah. yeah, that's how I feel. I feel I very rushed. Do you think there's like someone at Supreme who could tell coffee people how to stand in line? <laughs> they're, um, the, they're the experts. Yeah, because like, they have like the best line in the world. Yeah, they, you have Number to hire lots of security and stuff. Adam yeah. is <clears throat> is your how old is your son, Marlon? Uh, Marlon is 11 now. 11. Yeah. Is he into streetwear? Oh, God, yeah. So <laughs> we have to pivot to John's. Oh, otherwise, God. we'll do yeah. a whole hour on does coffee. Does he want some Supreme Joe stickers? Because I have like 100 in my desk. He does, but I, I think like Marlon's into clothes, not in an obnoxious way, but he's interested. But I do think what's interesting about kids these days, especially the internet and stuff, they they cycle through things. Yeah. And they have yeah. their, those moments where they're just all in. For a while, he was all into, you know, European soccer league jerseys. And, yep. And, That's cool. And had would literally only wear those to school. Then he got sort of like got turned on to Supreme. And while we're not like getting in line or anything or sleeping over on Lafayette Street, um, you know, he was like looking at all that stuff on the internet. Now, most recently, in the last couple of months, he's gotten big into like Japanese anime and manga books yep. and stuff. So now he's ordering these t shirts with like the anime characters Ooh, and cool. things That's that really like cool. long sleeve t shirts and stuff. So it's like you kind of never know. And like for like last year, he had like his looked like had his soccer hair, like a haircut. Like he could have been playing for Madrid or Barcelona, you know, all kind of short on the sides and yep. swooped over mm-hmm. with the products. Now he wants to, he looks like he's in a K pop band and just <laughs> has like the sort of the bangs. And he bought, he wanted to go to this Japanese uh, sort of food store, Mart by Union Square, to buy the product. For that sort of like wow. disheveled bang, yeah. sort of so spiky hair, very specific hair product from and Japan, you, and you go there, and there's like five different types of this hair product, all for slightly different types of like Japanese anime hairdos. And amazing! They, and they had these amazing descriptions <laughs> about how they're slightly different. That's incredible. So, if Marlon needs access to some products that are exclusive to Japan, he should talk to Noah Johnson, who's got all the Japanese proxy services. Yeah, I'm obsessed on deck. with buying stuff. Hard to find stuff from Japan. Well, he's really, yeah, so he really wants to go to Japan, and I'm like, the notion of getting on an airplane with him for 15 hours. It's <laughs> a long trip. A very family-friendly place, And though. then the jet lag. But, he, you know, he's, yeah, he's obsessed with anime. He's a sub- obsessed with Shiba Inus, those dogs. Oh, that yeah, it's the best. You yeah. see all over the internet in the West Village. Great breed. Um, he loves chicken <laughs> The cocktail. internet in the West yeah. Village. <laughs> <laughs> he, Dude, where Shiba Inus live. Yeah, he loves um he loves chicken katsu. The only problem is I'm like, Marlon, you can't go to Japan for like ten days and only, only eat in crispy chicken cutlets. <laughs> yeah. You have to before we go, we need to expand your palate a little bit because I'm not flying you to Japan to just get chicken and rice everywhere you go. If have you're to eleven skewered you chicken hearts. Well yeah, so he would actually do uh, now that I think about it, he would do the Yakutori and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it's sick that growing up now you, there's like merch for every specific interest you might have. It's like, true. When I was growing up, I don't think there was like SpongeBob SquarePants t-shirts that I could have bought. Yeah. Like yeah, if there were, were, I didn't know like and, where to get them. And the crazy but, thing is they're on their iPad and they could just find it all. Yeah. yeah. He could get like a Shiba Inu hoodie or something. Oh, definitely. Oh, no, he, he has, definitely. He, he has <laughs> yeah, see, he has one. It's like it looks like a Shiba Inu. It's like a weird um sort of uh repeating print of a Shiba Inu, but with like a Christmas hat on. Amazing. It's, oh. it's, now, it, yeah. how much pressure is there to get an actual Shiba Inu? Bypass the merch and get the living animal. Um, the ultimate Shiba Inu there's merch. There's a lot, although Marwan's done enough research to know that like um, Shibs, as we call them, uh, <laughs> they, 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 they're very particular. They're yeah. very smart. Um, they're not super 
kid friendly. Like they're kind of like the cats of the dog world. Yeah. Um, and that obviously, if we got a dog, he would have to take care, take care of, it. of it. And he's not. He knows quite a hassle when he sees yeah. one. Yeah. So he's not. Yeah. He like talks about it, but he's not ready to fully sign on, like sign the contract about what it would entail. He sounds like a, a, a conscious consumer. He's definitely a consumer. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but so, but again, with now with like the sort of there's that great bookstore. We used to all not all of us, but when we used to work at Times Square, yeah. um, uh, around the corner there was that great Japanese bookstore on like 40th Street yeah. and Sixth Avenue on Bryant Park. Park. Yeah, Bryant Park. They yeah. have the cool uh, cafe upstairs. Um, and, good chicken katsu there. Yeah, really good. Um, <laughs> and he would so he goes there, and, and now it's like. The fact I'm cool spending money. The fact that he's actually buying books that he will actually read. Yeah, we were at a bar in Jackson Hole when we were skiing there a few weeks ago on spring break, and Timon and I are like drinking, and like we look over and there's Marlon just like reading at the bar. Man, what a great wow. parenting I moment! Know. We're like, wow. You should go get a tattoo of that date. I know. <laughs> so, anyways, I'm gonna back it up a little bit and introduce Adam. Uh, they're currently sitting at this table of five people. There are three former or current GQ style editors. Style editors at GQ, not to be confused with the magazine GQ style. The other two of you better get better get hustling. Yeah, yeah get cracking. <laughs> Adam Adam was the OG. Adam is who called me and um, told me that there was a job opening at GQ in April of 2007. I was apartment hunting. Although, uh, so, let me interject because I will get in trouble. Uh-oh. Uh because they get in trouble every time this story is a version of this story Why, is do told. I, do I brick it? No, you. Am I you're lying fine. to the people? <laughs> no, the, the, it was Simone's idea to call you. Of course yeah, it was. She was like, "You should call uh, Will," and I'm like, "Huh, really?" And she's like, "Yeah, he'd be great. You should totally get." And I'm like, "Oh, never thought about that." For so. the record, there has never been any question in my mind about whose idea it was yeah. in the Rappaport family. Yeah, most ideas are my wife. As I always say, my wife always says, like, she goes, "You just take all my ideas and jokes, but say them more loudly than I do." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "That's that's true. That's what, that's, but that's what editors do." Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. We don't have any original ideas, um, just a sieve. Um, and Adam at the time was the style editor at GQ, overseeing the manual section, mm -hmm. all the all the editorial on the fashion pages. And Adam, had you been at GQ for a while before that? Like, did you I had, start so, yeah, as I mean, an intern? If, assuming that people listening to this care about GQ, I will say that, yeah. I, I, Dude, it's the it's we, we the do style some, podcast. We do some GQ history on <laughs> no, it. That's, little, yeah. that's what Not I'm saying. Not that much, though, so it's actually fresh content. So yeah. I, I, I came to GQ in 2000, the year 2000, uh, from Time Out New York, where I was the restaurant editor. Um, but when I came to GQ, I was just as we say, a front front of book editor, which means you edit those fr those beginning sections of the magazine where there's a lot of this and that. Uh, but at the time, this was, God, I guess you could say three editors in chiefs ago. So mm -hmm. Art, Art Cooper, who was like the OG yeah. uh, GQ editor, who really made what modern GQ is today. Uh, when he he started, I want to say 1982, maybe 82, 83, was there for about 20 years, um, and I. I I would say that maybe Art and I weren't exactly on the same frequency. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Art, uh, you've told, I've told this story before, but like my interview, so my friends Brandon Holly and Adam Sachs from Time Out both worked at GQ, and this, there was a job opening, and I get to Art's office, and he's like, big guy, he's got like a beard, turtleneck, double-breasted blazer, and he's like, ah, takes his Terrytown cigarette out, lights a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, white or brown? And I'm like, uh, 
I assume you, you mean cocktail? Cocktail? I'll, I'll have a vodka, yeah. please. So he reaches around, <laughs> gra- grabs a handle of Kettle One. What it's time like, of day is it? It's like 4 p.m. Oh and he's nice. like, uh, you need a mixer with that, like uh, club soda or something? And I'm like, <laughs> club soda and ice would be great. Thank you. <laughs> and so, you know, he's got one of these Baccarat rocks glasses that weighs about four pounds, like literally four pounds, and like makes me a drink. And then he uh, takes another pit. And like, so, uh, Brandon tells me you like Sinatra. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, it literally, it literally was like, it literally was like a Will Ferrell movie. I'm like, oh my, oh god. my god! I'm like, yes, I do like Sinatra, and so did the interview and got the job. And um, but yeah, that was probably the longest conversation Art and I had. Uh, and then after, yeah, so it was fine for three years. And then not till Jim Nelson took over in 2003 um, did I sort of like find my footing. And Jim created a much more contemporary minded. Yeah. I think there was a ban on Sinatra references. Uh, <laughs> I mean, literally. Um, and yeah, he kind of steered me from just random front of the book guy to more style focus in terms of, yeah, there was still food and, and lifestyle stuff, but also the jobs that we had. The style editor job was also to sort of t- be the conduit from the fashion department to the reader. So like take what the fashion, the creative directors, the fashion directors were doing and translate that into English for the average guy who read the magazine. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it was an amazing job for like seven years uh, and just being able to go to fashion shows and learn from Jim Moore and, and Madeline Weeks and the crew in the in the fashion department. And it kind of was like a paid internship. I, I really felt like I was learning every day, being able to go in there and ask questions and sort of be introduced to this world of fashion, which I liked clothes. There's a big difference, as we all know, between like, Liking clothes yeah. and the fashion industry. Yeah. So, you grew up in the in the in the DC area, right? I grew up in DC. In DC. Yeah, let's be clear. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have somewhere, issues. somewhere near. I DC. did not grow up in You're Potomac. Like a, okay. <laughs> um, and punk rock. I was in the yeah, the DC punk rock scene, the greatest place ever in the early '80s. Back you in played some guitar. Played some bad guitar in a bad band, but went to go what see was the a name lot of, of good the bands. Band? Okay, this needs to explain. <laughs> <laughs> Just say the name first. So the name of the band was the Tigers, wow. um, but the Tigers Wait. because are because <laughs> you know, wasn't that also your high school mascot? It was the Wilson Tigers, but the reason why are, we were that's so, the least punk rock thing I've ever <laughs> no. in my whole life. So, but, I, I'm that, guessing it's a subversive. Were you, managed, were you managed by a teacher? No, but the, the point was we were trying to be as unpunk rock as possible because this was already like 1985, 86, and everything was like. You know, social unrest and this and that, and we're like, that's those guys are so lame. Like, let's come up with the most like it was kind of like ironic. It was like normcore, exactly. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, but you know, we had uh, played a few good gigs. We opened for Dag Nasty one time at uh, the Chevy Chase Community Center. That was a great show. Uh, uh, so, I mean, let's get into it. What did you wear when you opened for Dag Nasty? Oh, the Chevy know, Chase Community Center. I'm gonna say probably um, back. It was funny because back in, the, in those days. They didn't have black jeans as we know black jeans now. Like most black jeans now, we can talk to segue to style, often have a little bit of stretch in it so they stay black. Yep. You know, yeah. so what there was back then, there was like black denim Levi's, so that, you know, with the cross weave or whatever. So you see the white, which I never really liked because it just kind of turned gray. Or there was Levi's twill pants. Yeah. Um, which different? I don't know how different. Well, it's like it, a five pocket pant still, but it's is it the stop press? It's like a, it's black, 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 yeah, super press, dark bro. black. Yeah. It's got to be stay press, yeah. not and stop so press. And so it was something. There was there was like a, a, a Western store, weirdly not, not far from my high school in DC yes. on, on 
Wisconsin Avenue. Um, I'm going to blank on the name, but we used to go there all the time. And you could buy twills. You could get some cool belt buckles and kind of things that could – something that kind of like – could be western or could be something that glenn danzig would wear yeah. you know there was you could you know you could buy a black levi's jacket you were stuff. doing a danzig edit of the western yeah. wear store so i'd go there so i think i was probably wearing black twill levi's um sort of worn in uh old like air jordan ones um or I think it maybe weren't air jordan but i had a pair from my high school team that were white with like a metallic green stripe um and i for a while i was wearing the high top nikes with spurs on the back Wow. Because yeah. <laughs> we got Spurs. Dude, Sam Hines' brain is leaking out of his ear right now. Yeah. So we got Spurs at this Western store. I'm like, oh, that'd be pretty cool to wear them with high tops. Who were the, were there, who were the like, style icons? Was it like Minor Threat? And so this was, yeah. So Threat broke Black up flag broke in, in 83 or so. I would say in, in when I was in high school, uh, the band Rights of Spring, who essentially preceded Fugazi. So mm-hmm. Guy Pachotto and Brendan Canny, who were in Rights of Spring, best live band I've ever seen by a mile uh, in they that band they were kind of like the Beatles of DC they're just like they were a little bit artsy but still punk rock and kind of like cool vintage clothes but hair that wasn't shaved head and wasn't spiky they kind of were getting into the more floppy or there was Mm -hmm. kind of a I think they weren't at all new wave but they appreciated that more British sort of they had a sense of style and like these guys um Eddie Eddie Janney uh, and Mike Fellows who were two very pretty boys back in their day and there's just they just had panache and the way that most other punk bands in dc were very sort of like punk like right to spring like oh you guys are stars yeah yeah so one question i one question i have because basically hardcore didn't happen in atlanta georgia as far mm-hmm. as as far as i yeah and in, in, in the atlanta i grew up in there were no like cool older siblings or anything like that who would like educate me on this stuff so how because i i recognize that for punk rock and hardcore the style was like a huge part of it and instantly identifiable and you were like sort of claiming your tribe and that kind of thing based on the way you looked but how like could you talk openly about it or did it have to be done in a sort of like i don't care about this but it just happened kind of way the style you mean yeah well yeah so would you have was it could you have like long conversations about hair? Depends who you're talking to. You, you could, <laughs> like you, you could not have a long conversation with Style about Ian McKay because he was like, "What are you talking about? Yeah. Rap, fucking rap report?" And blah blah blah. And like Ian was not yeah the most like he just had his dickies and his t-shirt and like his bands. Yeah. And there was that whole Discord House crew of guys that were very stripped down and no nonsense. And then you had that split off in the sort of the, as the '80s got a little later. And you had bands like Dag Nasty, you had bands like Scream that Dave Grohl was in, um, and there was this sort of infusion of a little bit more awareness of like the sort of the metal scenes that were starting to happen yep. in the 90s, 80s. Um, Bad Brains were, they kind of, with Eye Against Eye, which came out in, I want to say, 86, all of a sudden that was like, oh wow, that's like a heavy metal album. Like it was no longer just like hardcore. Um, so I think those sort of people hair started to get a little longer there's yeah there seemed to be more style infused into the scene whereas like the dc scene was so straight edge and just like you know it's about the music it's about the message and at some point people were like okay but can we have some fun also (laughs) um so adam what year did you transition from uh the style editor at gq to be the editor-in-chief of bon appetit um i got the job at end of 2010 the first issue that we put out with the new staff was to May 2011 because both Bon Appetit and Architectural Digest were actually both based in LA because right. Connie Nass had bought them I want to say in like 1990 or so from an LA based publisher called Nap Publications um, and they 
just kind of kept them both there. Uh, and then by the sort of after the recession in 2008, I think there was some spare real estate in the Condé Nast building yeah. <laughs> in Times Square. So they decided to move both of those brands back to New York and in doing so, uh, essentially completely relaunch them. So I literally hired, had to hire a staff an editorial staff, at least, from the ground up. Like, right. It was a, completely a New York-based oh, wow. ground up. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so a completely new masthead. So which, you know, but there was this three-month period where I would go back and forth to L.A. for about a week every month as the previous staff was sort of finishing up, closing out all the content that had already banked. And so there was, like, the February, March, and April issues that I would sort of help close, but they were already in the works. I was not the most popular guy when I would come to the office. <laughs> the Grim Reaper is back from New York. Yeah, I didn't realize that at the time. I was too oblivious. But um, so, yeah, so but it, so I would go out there, and, and meanwhile, back in New York, trying to hire a staff. Um, and for better or worse, and Will knows this, that Connie Nast, like, I mean, Connie Nast has changed a lot in the last 10 years as a company, but um, there's not a lot of guidance. Like, I'm like, I've never, like, Put a staff together. I don't know what it, I literally don't know what a P and L is or what it stands <laughs> or for. How to read it? How what a budget is? I, how do you, I mean? I didn't know anything, and so I hired our friend uh, Megan Sutherland, yep. friends of Will and mine. She was a managing editor at Teen Vogue at the time, uh, and she at least knew how. Yeah, she knew what a budget was. You know what a P and L was. She knew how the inner workings of Condé Nast corporate works in terms of getting stuff done. So she, I was sort of we were attached at the hip for those first several months, just trying to build a brand um and then so the, but at least we had that sort of that window it was like a three-month period uh to sort of staff up and get that first uh issue together i'm guessing that you started right at a moment where the food world i don't i don't know if that's how you refer to it yeah, but that's yeah. a thing felt tremendously exciting i mean it seems to me that there was yeah the food world's probably always been exciting but that there's been like a cultural shift in terms of yeah it's part of pop culture now. exactly yeah. and yeah. that that was probably around that moment so was that palpable and and then my second question is like what did you have a big idea at that moment for the direction you were going to take this thing that was radically different from what it was maybe in a response to this to it being pop cultural yes all around yeah. uh yeah first thing yeah 100 percent um I, I, my feeling was that adam doesn't really work in small ideas <laughs> no, but, but i do think it, yeah you could just feel that there was a thing happening in the food world that all like oh wow all the chefs and this this, this was 2010 so it was pre-instagram yeah um you know publications like lucky peach and gather journal and cherry bomb and all these cool uh, sort of food journals had not yet launched um, and I, I feel like the food world was really cool. There was all these pop-ups happening. Chefs were wearing skinny black jeans. Everyone had tattoo sleeves. Yeah. And you had to I, get a pig tattoo. Yeah, 100% with all, with all the different parts <laughs> yeah, diagrammed the on there. And, you know, chef's knives on their forearms. Um, so it was like, you're like, oh, this is – the food world is really cool. Yeah. But I didn't think that food magazines were cool. And I didn't really read any of them. I didn't read Bon Appetit. It was just – it felt very – wrote is like yeah there was like a whole culture happening that wasn't being no. lassoed or interpreted so it was in like any way. so how do we tap into that and that was that you know it's not like we invented that but it's like it's happening let's embrace it yeah and celebrate it so that was the first thing was like, it also pre grub street and eater um no because i remember doing a grub street interview when yeah when you took so a, I, took that's a good question I, i'm not sure that's a really good question like when grub street launched for new york magazine must have been around then. around that it was definitely preceded us um but, you know, their job was more to report on the, the food scene than sort of create vibes. And so then the next thing was, like, I didn't – I was like, I, I, don't, I, did, I, I wasn't even thinking about applying for the job. Jim Nelson, and our editor-in-chief, was like, hey, I think you'd be really good for this. 
you should apply. At the time, the other Simone story, my wife was like, you should apply for that job. And I'm like, I'm too busy editing manual. I don't have time for that. <laughs> she was like, dude, she big, was, big. She was like, you are such an idiot. And I'm like, <laughs> anyway, so Jim wrote a letter. I then, But then the, the interesting thing was, I was like, once I started thinking about the magazine, because at the time, this is also foreign to us now, like all your job was just to make a magazine. Yeah, you know, right. there was no podcast, there was no Instagram, there was no it videos. It is pretty mind blowing. There was no because it was not that long. There ago. was no website, basically. There were no verticals. I mean, none of that stuff was happening. No events. So I was just when I started thinking about like, oh well, what what I do, and I wanted to make a cool magazine that was about food as opposed to make a food magazine. Yeah. And so obviously working on GQ for a lot of years, I was like, well, can't you just take that same formula and apply it to a to a magazine about food and, and have interesting design, have like bold, beautiful photography, have it really voicey and opinionated um, and sort of structure it. I mean, I, like I would, the, essentially if you looked at the feature wells of Bon Appetit, they were structured the same, not the same, but similar to be to GQ in the sense that I would have one big service package. There could be a spread of, instead of beautiful monk strap shoes, you do a cool spread of Beautiful carafes. I mean, literally, right. yeah. a still yeah. life shot. Um, whereas the G GQ sort of lush stories are fashion stories. The BA version of that are recipe stories. You yeah. know, and then I've got my long form piece in there. And I was like, oh, like there's your feature well. Yeah, you know, and Very in front similar. of the in front of the book, you've got all the little detailed, animated, it's uh, whatever atomized sort of things happening. Um, but mostly, and I think. The same as GQ, it's one thing I learned from Jim. It's just like, well, you, you, if you remember a lot of times when we were in those meetings looking over the manual section, I think one thing that Jim always did really well was that if you looked at a page and it's kind of like, well, what's the point of this page? Yeah. You know, like you should make it really, really clear from the, the head and deck, the headline and subhead, the text, like have a point of view, take a stand, have something to say. Yeah, because sometimes whoever is the editor who is actually making a page can get a little lost oh, in yeah. the weeds of Definitely. the idea. Yeah. And then when you walk in, or Jim as editor-in-chief would walk in and look at it, having not thought about it for three weeks since he approved the idea, and be like, <laughs> what? What is this saying? Yeah, yeah we've all done that. Wait, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, we overthink and you're like, it. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, it's like the reader is going to have no clue what we're talking about, especially because <clears throat> like in the the – at the time in the manual section, the front of book of GQ or in Bon Appetit, you're like, you're pretty deep in the weeds of like style or food or whatever yeah. it might be. So if you're not really leading the reader in there in an effective way, it can get a little confusing. Yeah. And you have a finite amount of space to do it. So, I mean, I hate to say, it, but that's like my favorite quote these days from uh, Star is Born when Bradley Cooper's character, Jackson Maine, he's like, <laughs> he's talking to Lady Gaga. <laughs> I know. So he's like, I love where this is going. But he's just like, you know. You just got to have something to say. <laughs> and it's so true, though. Yeah. It's like, ha it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be perfect or whatever. Just have something to say. Say something. Yeah, and otherwise, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, otherwise, it's just going to be mediocre, even if it's, like, well-packaged and stuff. Like, Do yeah. you still have your spurs? I don't, although my, bro my brother is, like, the archivist for the Rappaport family in DC punk rock scene. So I would not be surprised if Andy has, I mean, he has every photograph and random thing from back in the day. Yeah, check out Andy Rappaport's Instagram if you want to see old photos yeah. of punk rock Adam. <laughs> um, one thing, so in a way, you getting the becoming the editor in chief of Bon Appetit was a return to food from you, as we mentioned. You're, yeah, you'd come for you. You're the timeout food editor, and the, but I'm curious, like when you go from thinking, of, I mean, you did a lot at GQ too, including food. Adam had a great page and manual he would do called the Technique, where he would just teach you how to do something 
really simple but just incredibly delicious in the kitchen and it was like every one of everyone's favorite pages that we used to do so the food thing continued but for the most part you were thinking about style uh for your years at gq so when you then shift back to really going to run a food magazine what happens to like all of that energy and thought that you spent how long 2000 that you spent 10 years yeah putting into style like obviously you're busy you're you know i text you with any idea yeah, definitely have. <laughs> like have you ever done anything on this guy who i keep seeing on the instagram or what i should you- i should you know shout out to both adam and to jason gay another who's the wall street journal's awesome sports columnist and a former gq editor but i still get like three really good ideas a week from, <laughs> from both of you you're only you're, you're our only uh, sort of outlet for those sort of things but i remember i remember actually i remember emailing you about uh your pal justin o'shea is that yeah. his name from ss yeah. sss world corp now yep. but i remember like i'm like who's this guy i always see on instagram he's amazing and then you got in touch with him and next thing you know yeah, yeah. i i had I, he wasn't like on my radar and you were, you were just like i don't know who this guy is but he looks cool you, yeah. should, you should look into <laughs> it and, and so i hit him up and um i can't remember we did a couple things like kind of quickly i can't remember if we did um it may have been a video mm-hmm. where he was like, at the time, it was the height of the street style craze. And Justin was a buyer at My Teresa, a women's fashion buyer for this big European uh, e commerce fashion, uh, fashion e commerce site. And uh, so I, it was like, what it's like to be a street style all star. Yeah. And like me and the cameras would like ride in the in the Mercedes with him. <laughs> we went to the Gucci show and like got out of the car and followed him as he was basically treated like you know Justin Timberlake and in, yeah. in, in two thousand or something like that. Um, and but the funny part about that is he I went to pick him up to like go to the Gucci show and to film this video and he walked out <laughs> of some meeting he was in in Milan and he'd shaved his beard and I didn't even recognize him he was like Will and I was like what oh hey and I was like oh man this video is gonna brick because you know that's like part of his part of his look big part of his look and he looks very different without the beard he quickly grew it back yeah yeah and our video bricked (laughs) (laughs) I should give him another chance um but yeah the rapo radar for people with cool style is still pretty sharp yes I was like you know that that I was I told you about that place Malbon Golf in LA, which I think they're just doing really cool things as this sort of golf world gets somewhat hipper these days and younger. Um, and it's just a cool shop with good vibes. Yeah. Um, uh, where is it on one of those streets that runs perpendicular to Sunset? Anyways, um, that's a definitely cool thing. But then also, you know, we talked about also just like actual personal style. And I do feel that like I'm kind of suspended in 2010. Like, <laughs> literally, I mean, as right now, I'm wearing like a. Yeah, this, know, is, a, this is a very strong, but very 2010 yeah, GQ look. And I'm wearing a like chambray shirt. A chambray shirt Oxford. With a navy knit tie that you and I bought together, Will, in, in London. Yep. No, in Paris. Uh, a Drake's collab with oh, Anatomica. Anatomica. It's nice. a great show. Uh, and it's kind so of a, it's, Noah it's a, turned me on to Anatomica oh, cool. in Paris. Yeah. Uh, Adam and I were over there for a Condé Nast conference, and we went by and. You copped a tie. Yeah, so it's this cool kind of almost like navy mesh tie. It's actually see-through at the bottom. Um, and But just, yeah, solid colors, chambray shirt. I'm not wearing a tie bar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and with a navy. Well, that came. the tie bars came in after 2010 yeah. when you were already gone. Uh, and a navy Drake suit and white common projects. Um, so, yeah, I just I, – I, I feel like I'm – and it's fine. It works. 
but I'm trying to sort of like how could how can I expand how can I build on this sort of foundational style without like trying too hard yeah you know without I mean? losing who you are or yeah. spending time in, in yeah how do i evolve money. how do i evolve and that's yeah. something i still have all my ties and everything I've, I've literally had since i was at gq not all yeah. of them well it's interesting you you're referring to a foundational style that's personal to you but you also are like were partial very much responsible for that foundational style that was foundational for all men in america like a lot of even though things are sort of wild now a lot of it came from what you and jim moore and that whole team sort of started, I think, in your era as style editor. Will took it from there, and we've like it, there is a direct evolution, but it, it's interesting that a lot of the the things that became good, tasteful style for men were really established under you in terms of like slim. I'm guessing it was sort of slimming down the suit and yeah. starting to think about uh, well, a slimmer, more modern silhouette, and oh, well, just learning how any of that. I mean, when it was in full swing when I arrived at GQ in 2007 under Adam, which was it was just like stating over and over in a way that needed to be said over yeah. and over yeah, yeah. the way just the basics of men's style what the different we used to do we used to do like manual packages that were like here here's what the american suit is about and here's That's what the right. british suit yeah, is about yeah. and here's what the italian was, suit yeah, is it was about. very instructive and, and like pointing out like why milanese businessmen dress so much better than american like yeah, their suits fit that, and yeah. like perfect and like but I All think their also shades of blue. Yeah, but I think also, I mean, it all starts with the people who are creating it. And if you look at Jim Moore, the former creative director, as you Jim was Moore was a very disciplined, yep. uh, instructive, organized person, and he yeah. he liked to have things that he could put in their proper place. Um, so it was kind of, I mean, I, saying a uniform is I think fair, um, yep. but I also think like back then. It's, I guess it's almost like going to art school. Like you have to be taught the fundamentals before you can explore your own. Yeah, style it's the as Picasso thing. You can't yeah. you can't paint like a child until you prove that you can paint like a master first. Yeah, yeah. And and I think we were literally trying to teach guys how to dress back then, as including ourselves as editors. And it, it is kind of fascinating. Like, you know, we used to you'd see businessmen in like Midtown who just like these big billowy dress shirts yeah, yeah. and like suits that are always a size too big on them and ties that were too wide and now like we in our current building here at Royal Trade we live, work across the street from Goldman Sachs and you see these guys and they all have like tailored dress suits yeah. like yeah. tailored to an yeah. inch of the life and slim pants and beautiful shoes and like like cool ties and like they're like oh wow like, you guys actually listened yeah. and like <laughs> you dress I mean, you're a banker, so I'm, I don't want my banker to be some hipster, but like, they dress like a really well dressed yeah. Italian or London guy, and like, and it's like, oh, it worked, and it it, it Jim took Moore, a while to did it, in. man. We yeah. did it. Well, that's why we the magazine there. we make now is so different in some yeah. ways, right? Because like, I, was, I hate to say like quote like uh, our George Bush or something, but it's like mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quote, 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 mission accomplished is bigger than than than, than W, but yes. <laughs> No, it's true, and it's like now that now that we've learned the fundamentals, everyone can let their freak flag fly a little bit, and that's except the, me. Ex <laughs> <laughs> well, we're working on it, Adam. But it's also like I mean, to be honest with you, so like I'm like a generation ahead of you guys, or so, or whatever. Like ten years older than Will, basically. You're 38. Will just yep. turned. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank um, you. So I'm 49. Um, so a like all right. So I'm a 49 year old dad, who's also an editor of a food magazine. 
where most of his employees are like 20 years younger. So at some point, if you try to wear something too cool, both like your, <laughs> both your, both your 11 year old is going to call you on it, and your pretty much entirely millennial staff is going to call you and, on it all. And by the way, your really cool wife. Yeah. I, you're actually not, you're, you're actually not going to get out of the door in something too egregious. No, but because my, your very Simone, cool wife yeah, will, oh gosh, will turn will, you around. Yes, yeah. yeah, she's yes. I mean, yeah. It's a, is there a particular thing that you feel like oh, I got to figure this out, like a shoe yeah, any, or a any, cut of suit, or conundrums? just like how do I escape? I, it seems like you well, wear ties wait, a lot. Wait, wait, Adam, hit I, me. I'm not. I should also say Adam looks great. You look really Thank fly. You. He knows what he's doing. I'm not. I'm not over here like stressing about anything Adam's wearing. Yeah, no, Adam knows what he's doing. Yeah. but he hit me uh, two days ago, and he was like. I need like a cool double-breasted suit. Oh, there you go. Not like a not like a sprezzy Italianate double-breasted right. suit. Like something kind of badass and rock and roll. So yeah, I said, we, it said something one that like Nick Cave would wear. That Nick oh, Cave yeah. would wear. Nice. Yeah. And so um, I of course took that request very seriously. And that was new. You didn't already own a double-breasted suit, or maybe there's no, one in the no, back of the I, closet. No, I didn't. But. And I was. I've always. It's always like it's been one of those things. Like oh, I'd love to find one that's. Again, like that's kind of cool. Like if I was if I played guitar for Interpol, I could wear. Them. <laughs> um, and but they're hard because they can go very just like business guy or yeah. very like Italian. But yeah, I yeah, find that yacht. more. Yeah, yeah. Little rock and roll. Yeah, I wanted like a skinnier yeah. black one. That so could work. So potentially in the offing soon is me and Adam going to the new Celine store. <sighs> very Hell soon. Yeah. So they have I Google. So they have a cool black uh, six button. Slim, high cut. Like, I, my only concern was having like tried on various Eddie Slimane suits over the years. Like, if you have any sort of girth about you, <laughs> um, and it's like what you think your size is and what his version of your size yeah. is don't really match up. So it's like you got to go try him. He on. would be very happy to hear you say that. Yeah, <laughs> you could, we can all keep our five thousand dollars if the if it doesn't look right on but us. But you know what's fascinating? So we'll. So you, you gave me a list in descending order. So you had Celine, um, you had the row, uh, you had it was Ed- Celine Triple S, yeah, because Triple S now does a a DB, yeah, and it's like nine hundred bucks. Okay, hard I to- have one. It's amazing. Okay, I need to look at that. Hard to online it was hard to find the row, and then what was the fourth one? There was a fourth one. I can find it, but um, you know what's fascinating? So the row is the the fashion line that the Olsen twins started, yeah. like friends of the show. Been a while now, like ten years ago, maybe they started that line. I remember I was at GQ still. Men's yeah. disappeared and and, and came just back. came back. Yeah, um, men's is remarkably expensive. Yes, like oh, yeah. more expensive than Celine like, by yeah. by a third. There was like a thirty five hundred dollar double breasted jacket on there. I was like, wow, like yeah. They're not playing. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I was like, "You go." Uh, Isn't it incredible that <laughs> that was made stuff. by the? Rachel's gonna look at me like, "Don't be so basic." <laughs> but this, those girls were in Full House. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, no, but they when they started that line, it was like, "Oh, that's." And you know, th- at that point, they were very like kind of TMZ yeah. sort of. They were like Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. On they were sidewalk smoking marbles. Yeah, but they were yeah. not getting nominated for Oscars and stuff. And yeah. like, oh, you're like those LA cool girls, but whatever. You're in TMZ and Us Weekly and stuff. And then like you're starting a fashion line, isn't that cute? And then it came out, and you're like, oh, it's actually pretty yeah. good. Yeah, and then yeah. they stayed at it, and like two years later, it's like, oh, it's even better than it was. And like it's impressive when someone has like, no, no, I'm going to do this for real. They spent a long time establishing real credibility as as style sort of icons themselves and oh, yeah. and their brand. I mean, they're so quiet about it. We are, always want to talk to them about their menswear and 
They the, keep a very low profile and keep it focused on the clothes, which are simple uh, and beautiful and yeah, insanely impressive. expensive. Yeah. The other one on the list was Gucci made to order oh. because Adam has a few Gucci suits and they look really good on him. Yeah, the the made to order last time I was there because like again, like, I fit as everything, and that was one of those gets back to the original tenets that we were establishing in, at GQ in the 2000s. I was like, you know, whether you have a two thousand dollar suit or two hundred dollar suit. If you get it, if it fits your shoulders right, and you get it, you buy the right size, you can get it tailored and the sleeves and everything. Um, that's what matters most. And I do think it's hard to find. There are certain brands or you know cuts that fit, and certain ones that yeah. don't. And you yep. you can try them on as much as you love the fabric and the look of it. You're like, this just feels it's not weird. for me. And like, yeah. oh, and the guy's always like, well, we can take in the shoulders, and then you're like, if you have to do like that much surgery yeah. on it, so like, long yeah. suit, maybe yeah. this is not right. Yeah. So. Then they're always like, well, we can do the made to measure. Yeah. And you're like, so, but then you're also like, well, your $2,200 suit is now going to basically be a $3,200 yeah. suit. Yeah. And you're like, ooh, ah, yeah. yeah starting maybe. to sweat in the palms yeah. a little. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but it is like, yeah, you got to want it. So, yeah. that'd, be, that'd be interesting. Uh, shout out to Matt Sieber, too, in the GQ fashion department, who have been helping with the, the DB mission. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you, thank you, Matt. Um, so, anyways, that, that that I would I think again like, I think that could if doing like, something like a DB, getting back to what we were uh, saying is like that could be like an evolution without yep. a crazy departure. Yeah. Like, if you yeah. bought a navy or black double-breasted suit, it's not like some crazy fabric or some crazy print. It's just a different. Yeah, nobody's gonna freak the, out when you yeah, walk. It's a in. different version of the black single-breasted suit yeah. of which I own several. Yeah, yeah. and th those are the kind of moves that like when you do it. Maybe people notice, maybe they don't, but you feel like you've you had a mission, you, you know, you you solved yeah. it, and then like you you feel like you're moving forward and evolving. And there's all there's also the question of, I think it's interesting because like you guys working in media for a fashion magazine, what you wear to work is different that almost like what you're expected to wear to work like Rachel right now you've got a like a sailor's rope tied around <laughs> your waist but in like a bright pink it's Rachel cool. let's Rachel let's get into this raincoat yeah is this like Rachel a Mac has or something? the most amazing <laughs> raincoat I'm wearing a castle editions raincoat which was Rachel's vibe I think three or four episodes ago yeah so this now, is like the follow-up is yeah. that castle now with completed. a c or a k with a k k-a-s-s-l it's made in Germany. It's made in, in Germany. I, and there are like very, of, very few garments are made in Germany. It's one of these. It's one of these like small brands take a that like a bunch of Don't miss people the pink from right like Celine and um, I'm trying to think. Wait, of can you else. move your hand so I can get oh, the yeah. pink rope? Um, people from a bunch of different fashion brands started this raincoat company like last summer. And they just make this raincoat in different lengths over and over again. Does wait? Does the rope come with the raincoat? Some versions, yes. Yours oh, did. Wow. Yeah, mine did. And uh, is it a bring back brand? Did they revive an old brand or start no. it from scratch? Started, started it from scratch. And it's like laser cut and bonded, basically. Yeah, it's, it's laser sort cut of, and bonded. It's yeah. very like old Celine. And sort of. but is Phoebe it, is Celine? It, is yeah. that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, is yeah. it rubberized on, like a Macintosh on the it's inside? It's cotton and polyurethane. Mm. Yeah. Polyurethane. So it's constructed so it's a lot yeah. like a Macintosh yeah. jacket. Like, like a more like it's like it's like Macintosh meets the Matrix. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, it like grazes the floor. Rachel yeah. got the, oh, you got the longest version. one. Yeah, I got the dope. longest one possible. So do you, do you carry any firearms in there or anything? Don't answer that. So you've kept it on for corporate lunch. Yeah. Will it stay on all day? Yeah. Amazing. God Wait, bless okay. you, I Rachel. I mean, that's very like fashion commitment, like style commitment, because you got to be hot in that thing. 
No, really. Really? Okay. I mean, I'm wearing like pajamas underneath. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I didn't even get to that. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of have like iridescent gold slip-on shoes. Right. Very genie-like. Rachel, one thing Rachel is not doing on any given day is fucking around. No. <laughs> she is really not no. fucking okay, around. Okay, well, can I say this? All right, so it's, again, you guys have a different sort of interface with the world of style and fashion in that it is your jobs. Yeah. One, my main problem, I think, um, and I think probably a lot of guys just speaking about guys because I'm a guy in GQ's a men's magazine um, is just literally finding the time to shop or yeah. just getting yeah. in that headspace to shop and like during the week I'm at work and if you do run out you're kind of rushed and you know I gotta get back yeah. for that meeting and then you know on weekends I'm with a kid or wife and whatever um, I feel like the only time I ever shop now is if I'm in another city. If I'm in LA for work yeah. and I've got like a free afternoon. Same. Then That's I'm, a then cool I'm like, way to oh, do it. That is a I, cool way. I, I can't remember. I've never, ever shop in New York. I just don't. It feels like a job. Yeah. yeah. But and, it's like, and but, I but agree. You, where do you put but, it and then but you're you, rushed? But you, and, yeah, you probably travel. You definitely travel more than I do. So, But there's times where I'm like, I look in the closet. I'm like, oh my god! I have like literally the same clothes from GQ. I need to get some. <laughs> I need to sort of up my wardrobe a little. Um, but I've been, I don't know. I've had s pants are my big challenge. I just pants mm. just don't fit me. They they're either too high in the waist or too low in the waist. I have like a long upper torso, so same things ride weirdly. And I'm always like pulling my suit pants up, and then they're sliding down. And Adam, let me ask you. Since while we're talking about your body, <sighs> let me ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. How do you stay so fit as the editor in chief of a food magazine? I have been, I've gone with you to the Bon Appetit test kitchen yeah. on a random day, not going there for any specific thing. And there's just like insanely delicious food, like just sitting out for the taking at all times. It's really intense. Yeah. What's your caloric intake? Do you eat like 10 meals a day? Is that no, I, the... I, honestly, to, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say so vain necessarily, but I like to be relatively fit and just feel good i'm like in terms of energy level i have a tendency to just crash out in the afternoons and get nothing done but i shirk my, my responsibilities like i should be going to more tastings where you we you know in the middle of the afternoon at three o'clock or so uh there will often be scheduled tastings in the test kitchen for an upcoming story like hey guys like just like in the fashion department at gq you'd have you know a, a run, run through, through where you yeah. see all the clothes that are going to be potentially selected for an upcoming shoot we will set out, you know, three or four recipes uh, that are going to be in a featured upcoming stories, and, and editors taste them. They make comments and criticism. Like this is great, but I feel like it needs a little bit more acid. Like it's just feeling a little flat. Or like, yeah, I would lose. Doesn't need the feta cheese. Why is that in there? Um, I should go to those more, but I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to have like a full meal at three thirty. Try have lunch <laughs> at twelve thirty. Like I want to be able to come home and be hungry for dinner and actually eat dinner and have a cocktail and, and relax. So I'll like look at stuff, I'll observe, but I don't do a lot of snacking during the day. Right. Snacking is the death of most Americans, yeah. Yeah, tell and me then, about it. And then, and then what about eating out during the week? Like how many times a week do you eat out? I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't have to for the most part. Um, again, I should probably do more of that. I, you know, we have, we have editors on staff who that's their job. Uh, for instance, Julia Kramer is our deputy editor and she oversees our best new restaurants list. Um, so it's her job to literally be on top of what's happening. Elise Inamine, uh, she's also she's a more a senior associate editor. Her job is just to basically track all the new restaurant openings, yep. and then pretty much everyone on staff, from Alex Delaney to Rachel Carton to Emily Schultz. I mean, they're 
again, they're twenty somethings who are going out literally yeah. every single night. They have yeah. the metabolism. Yeah, they're they, in the mix. <laughs> yeah. And and the ability to recover from a hangover yeah. Yeah, much yeah. more quickly. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so it's like it's kind of like if if you're the coach, they're the players. Like yeah. if you're the coach, you don't need to be on the field. Yeah. You just need to make sure they're they're doing their job. You need to make sure they win. Yeah. So I mean, I'll go out a few nights a week and but it's not like professionally. I probably should go to more sort of food world things Events. than I do. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's just like you, you're dealing with food content stuff all day. The last thing you want to do is like more food stuff. What was the last restaurant you went to? Um, well, I was in San Francisco this weekend. Nice. Did you go to Zuni? <laughs> well, the yeah. only question that matters. So Zuni is kind of like the Balthazar of San Francisco, classic restaurant, been around for 30? At least I know it was there when I was in college in 92. It probably opened in the mid-80s or something. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. On that cool part of market, it's like a triangle-shaped building with floor-to-ceiling windows and all these little nooks and warrens of rooms and live fire. Um, we actually, when we got in Thursday night, the hotel was like half a mile from there. It's that weird thing where it's like 9 o'clock. By the time you check in your room, you're hungry, but you don't yeah. want to go. It's like, oh, let's just walk to Zuni and get some oysters and a whatever. So we did that. And then we were having dinner there the next night. Um, with Alex Grossman and his wife, our former creative director. Uh, so that was more like a full-on sit-down dinner. Yeah. Did you check him uh, for two? Simone and Grossman did chicken for two. Hell um, yeah. And, yeah, we did the whole the Caesar salad, the oysters, some pasta. All the great. hits. All the hits. Uh, and it, it's one of those just – it's a classic, iconic, genuinely iconic restaurant uh, that's always worth going to. We also went to um, the place where everyone – will tell you to go when you go to San Francisco, and everyone is, pr- for the most part, right. Uh, Tartine Manufactory. Yes. Um, Tartine's obviously the famous bakery there, Chad Robertson and his wife, Liz Pruitt. Um, and then they opened Tartine Manufactory next to the, the big sort of Heath Headquarters Ceramics studio. Um, and this is like yeah, everything from all the cool breads and pastries as well as salads and creative sort of, you know, breakfast foods and it's just a big sort of rollicking sort of lively place with huge windows like like late breakfast or lunch it's kind of yeah and yeah. you can just sort of so good graze and get in homemade kombuchas and spritzes and just it's a very sort of fun place and they just opened one uh in la in downtown la um sort of warehouse district uh, a few months ago as well so another manufactory down there adam i would guess the hardest part of your job is people endlessly asking you where to eat and it's very similar to I'm projecting a little because that's sometimes the hardest and most dreadful part of my job is people like, what boots should I get? Yeah, what we, bag well, should I get? What coat should I get? And I'm just like, oh my god, there's like it's, it's a just huge like project. Such a hard exactly it's a huge <laughs> project. I, yeah. I, I agree. It's the same thing. It's like I love sort of exchanging ideas, but I'm yeah. like, can you fucking narrow the question? Yeah, a little bit? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like people now. <laughs> a, there's your friends, and this used to happen all the time when I was, like, you know, my sort of, like, jackass camp friends. Like, <laughs> dude, I got to take this girl out tomorrow night. Where should I go? And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Like, do you want to go uptown or downtown? Yeah, do you want to yeah. go someplace, like, fun and get drunk, or are you looking for someplace romantic? Like, give me some parameters. Yeah. And now it happens with Instagram, and I'm pretty communicative with people when they DM me, just random people. But it's happening more and more. It's like, hey, I'm coming to New York tomorrow. Where should I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I, I, well, I don't know what <laughs> to you're hell. Yeah. Have you ever to been hell. here before? Yeah, like, you, where do you start? Brooklyn, Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> what do you like to eat? Who are you? Like, are you with your family? Like, I just like, that's, that's the only thing I ask. Like I said, love to exchange ideas, but you, you, they have to do some work on the front end yeah. before they just ask those sort of questions. I totally. think we should do a speed round of vibes, one vibe each, starting with Sam Hine. 
Sam. Let me pull up my vibes. Oh, come uh, on, you're what? not ready. This is the guy, Rachel, at, the, the, guy at the coffee shop who's Rachel, six feet away from Rachel, the please start us. Okay, so actually my vibe was something that was DM to me, which was that someone said, you know, I think that uh, like dad core is over, toddler core is in. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved that. I was it a reporting great. tip? And they said, yeah, they, and they sent me um, the, cact- the cactus plant flea market Nikes. Yeah. And they were like, this naive design yeah. suggests ah. to me that people are going for something primitive amazing primitive is primitive is a, is a hot button word for sure but yeah. but the naive and, and toddler core is yeah. pretty amazing uh, I, this is also happening in the in the fine art like painting world right. yeah. naive I, is right. in I, I literally have no idea what you're talking about amazing. <laughs> amazing. that's okay adam Vibes are personal. Toddler core food would be not so great. Yeah. <laughs> chicken like, nuggets, frozen chicken, chicken nuggets. nuggets like well, wait, wait, that's yeah. it. That's it. That's always like the secret tip. Like when you're at some hotel where you're like, eh, like ordering off the the kids' room service menu is wow. always good. Like the mac and I see. Wow. You know what? I'm good what with just vibe. mac that's and cheese, mac and cheese, chicken tenders, and a Coca Cola, mm. and like fast wow. and, and like Fast and Furious eight on TV. Like yeah. <laughs> perfect. Wow. Never crossed my mind. Yeah. That is amazing. Kids right menu. I mean, that's a hell of a vibe, but do you have one, Adam? Uh, this is something I'm into right now. Yeah, just something you're feeling Okay, right I'm going to piggyback on yours, Rachel. Um, I like to golf a lot. I like to talk about golf. I always say golf's kind of like sex. You talk about it more than it actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, but I did get a, um, a new pair of the Jordan 11 golf shoes. Uh, last oh, month. Wow. So if you're into golf, like those are the kicks. So the the for the the 11s are the one with like the sort of black patent leather yeah. sort of uppers. They look like galoshes almost. Uh, and and the treads, the like spikes have sort of a cool green translucent thing happening. Um, but they're the kicks like in the golf world. If you when you walk into the course with them, dudes are like, yo. You got the 11s? <laughs> and like, where'd you get those? And like, there's again, they're getting resold for like, you know, time and price and a half and everything. Uh, so I got those. And so I walk out the house. At least before I start playing, I feel very good about my game. Yeah, you feel cool. That's good. Sam, what, what is it? My vibe is manicures. Oh, oh I got, so, wow. yes. That's, really That's what good. I'm talking about, Sam. I got, I got my very first manicure ever last weekend. How? Like, how did that happen? Did you get a petty also? No, just a manicure. Have you ever had a petty? No. Oh, That's, dude, I'm taking it one step at a time. One step at a time. What what what, what um, prompted the manicure? I was I was actually at Alex Delaney's uh, apartment, drank some natural wine. I was with <laughs> as, my girlfriend, one does. and she was like, "Do you want to get manicures?" And I was like, "All right." Yeah. So we went to this place in Chinatown. Did like, it? Did that's I, fifteen dollars of ever? Spent. So you don't get like scared by them like pushing the things. Yeah, and well, I didn't know what to expect. Sharp. I've never. So I was yeah. I was like, you know, I'm down. And then they started doing it. And I was like, holy shit. This is kind of painful. I mean, they yeah, I was bleeding a little bit. <gasps> uh, they were like not, <laughs> yeah, maybe not the best gnarly. execution, but um, you know, I I I bite my nails. Yeah, it's I sort do of too. A bad habit, um, but not since I got my manicure. And I would just yeah, that's stare at my beautiful nails. So. You should have got them painted. Wow. Can I uh, go next and piggyback on the 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 wellness and self care yeah. vibe? We're really 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 into uh, self care here on corporate. Yeah, Lunch. this is sort of a self care podcast. It is. I'm probably about 15 minutes, uh, 15, excuse me, 15 years late to this one, but I finally uh, took my dentist advice and got a Sonicare. Do you guys use electric toothbrushes? Oh, no. y- yes, I don't. And, uh, yes, and then like the battery ran out, or I didn't know how to change and that was it, it, and something <laughs> happened. But yeah, the dentist will always say you should really be using 
I'm addicted to my Sonicare. They also have one that's that's blacked out. It's black on black, and you then you can murdered order out the, Sonicare. Order the, yeah, murdered out Sonicare. You can order the oh, black brushes. Are the bristles black? I'm literally, and it has, I'm literally emailing <laughs> no, myself right now. Not the the bristles are not. See the vibes work. Adam's yeah, Adam's vibes ordering up. A, I'm not getting a manicure though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still scared of that. That's the uh, the one thing that you have to learn is because the Sonicare is buzzing like. When you can't really open your mouth while you're doing it, because it will just it'll just machine gun <laughs> toothpaste spit uh, wow. all yeah. over the place. Jackson Pollock, your mirror. So you really have to learn how to Sonicare. <laughs> um, but it's incredible. Like if I could leave right now and go Sonicare and then go back to my desk, you just want to brush your yeah. teeth all the time. Yeah, I think that's the that's and why I dentists the recommend them. Yeah, it you do it longer. You actually, you actually enjoy it. Uh, my vibe is actually this is a cheat because I want to tee up a question for Adam. Mm, Adam, uh, my vibe is, and we don't talk about drinking on here a lot, but we did last time. This vibe is Budweiser, mm. and <laughs> I I drink Budweiser. This is going to go probably, a whole another hour now. Probably too much of it. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. but one thing I do, Adam, all the time when people give me shit about it, because there are, as you know, well better than anyone, lots of versions of beer snobbery oh, out yeah. there, especially now, and people will sometimes look down on my ice cold, uh, delicious frothy bottle of Budweiser and I'll say well you know Adam Rappaport the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit <laughs> says his favorite beer is Budweiser I don't know if it's true I don't know where I got that idea I must have heard you that's definitely true say it or someone told me or you said it in an interview so I just want to give you Adam a chance is the king to... of the king of beers yeah I would say so it's 100% true I still have this was a story that you and I worked on well I forget what it was but as my screensaver on my desktop now at work is still Supreme did a Budweiser like yeah. rugby bag. That's Hell right. yes. yeah. A, a shoulder bag with like the Budweiser cans and red and white. Uh, and someone took a beautiful shot of it as a product shot we put in the magazine. And that's my screensaver. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I just like, I, I like, I want my beer to be crisp and cold and easy to drink. Yeah. I don't want some hoppy IPA. I don't want notes of this or that. And it's just like, so I like Budweiser, I like it in a can. I often, in the warmer months, I like it on ice, actually. All right. Yeah. We started on ice. And like a Dixie cup? Yeah. Sure, Dixie cup, glass, whatever. But it's just like when you're sitting outside barbecuing and stuff, like having an ice-cold Budweiser on ice is like it's the best thing. All summer long. I love that. Literally. Adam, Adam, you're a GQ. You're a Team GQ forever. We love you. You're welcome on corporate lunch anytime. All right. It's been really real. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Adam.